Today, the UFC's flyweight division is in a relatively healthy place with spectacular champion Davison Figueiredo, aka Figgy Smalls, capturing the attention of the masses. But just two years ago, many were certain that the UFC would completely wash its hands of the 125-pound bracket. Before we were bending the knee to Triple C, the UFC had already begun culling the division that once boasted the most dominant championship reign in the history of the promotion via Demetrius Johnson. But what prompted the forced exodus of flyweights from the UFC? And more importantly, what revitalized the bracket to the point that it's somersaulting its way into 2021? This is Peter Carroll for MMA on Point and this video is brought to you by the Championship Series. Want to combine your love of MMA with Christmas? Why not get yourself some festive knitwear inspired by the most intense MMA fan of all time, the Just Bleed guy. Along with the sweater, you'll get the highly coveted golden coffee mug and a 12 ounce bag of roast from Caveman Coffee. Visit the link below for more information, but for now, Here's how the UFC's flyweight division was rescued on its deathbed by yours truly. So what went wrong? Was it a lack of big names? A champion that was simply too dominant? A host of inaccurate stereotypes including These guys have no knockout power! I'll knock you out in a minute! Or was it the historic trade that saw Johnson move to one championship for previously undefeated welterweight, former one and Bellator champion Ben Askren? Right from the jump, the UFC encountered speed bumps with flyweight. After a tournament was created to establish the division's first champion in 2012, the first semi-final bout between Johnson and Ian McCall had to be rebooked due to the judges tallying the scorecards incorrectly. Despite being scored as a split decision for DJ, White later revealed that the fight should have been forced to a sudden death fourth round. We were robbed. The good news is, everyone's very excited about the flyweights. In the rematch three months later, Johnson claimed a one-sided decision win, which led him to the inaugural title clash, where he claimed a split decision nod over Joseph Benavidez. Even on the night of UFC 152 when Johnson was crowned, conversations about where the 125-pound athletes were physically too small to gain mass appeal had already begun. In a showing of allegiance to the new bracket, White lambasted the critics, labelling them morons. I mean, I was reading Twitter tonight. These people were ripping on the flyaway fight. Please, I'm begging you, don't ever buy another UFC pay-per-view again. Strangely, as DJ's dominance grew, that goodwill would slowly begin to erode. Over his 2,142 days as flyweight champion, Demetrius Johnson proved himself to be one of, if not the best fighter in the world. He banked some of the most spectacular finishes in the history of the division, but according to Dana, even a victory via Hadouken would fail to make him a box office draw. He cut through contenders like a manic surgeon. It felt like Mighty Mouse was eliminating threats to his crown with such a frequency that it was difficult for anyone to gain enough momentum to convince the masses that they had a chance against the Matthew prodigy. Johnson's record tells the story. Over his 12 fights as UFC champion, he encountered three rematches, a nod to the lack of new contenders that were emerging in the division. In any other sport, an athlete as dominant, as clean-cut and as skillful as Johnson would be worth its weight in gold, but not in the wild world of mixed martial arts. He holds the record for consecutive UFC title defences with 11, and he won 2017's Fighter of the Year at the ESPYs, beating out Conor McGregor and boxers Terence Crawford, Gennady Golovkin and Andre Ward. He is just the second fighter ever to be awarded bonuses in all four categories. Despite all of his accolades, little did anyone know that it would be the dethroning of Demetrius that would be the catalyst for the revival of the category. After Johnson's submission of the night win over Wilson Hayes in April 2017, former bantamweight champion TJ Dillashaw tried to position himself for a move to flyweight to challenge DJ. This is a realistic possibility right now that I could actually fight him. I think he's trying to find any kind of excuse to, to get out of this fight. White was the first to mention TJ's plans to the media and a plethora of fans salivated at the thought of a former champion challenging for the flyweight title. But Johnson didn't share their excitement. 
Known as a company man throughout his UFC tenure, Johnson released a statement to MMAfighting.com outlining that he had already agreed to fight Ray Borg and how he felt that TJ Dillashaw would have to prove he could successfully make £125 before fighting for the division's title. When the UFC didn't agree that TJ would need to make 125 successfully before their potential matchup, Johnson called for a stipulation to be put in place that if TJ didn't make weight, the fight would be off and he would still get his purse, plus TJ's guaranteed pay. Mick Maynard responded by saying that Ray Borg would be on the card and he could fill in if TJ didn't make weight. A scenario Johnson did not feel was befitting of a record-breaking champion. Johnson also detested the fact that he found out about the idea of the TJ bout through the media, rather than a direct contact from the UFC. After releasing the statement, Johnson appeared on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani, revealing that the UFC threatened to shut down the division if he didn't accept the Dillashaw bout. And I said, close the motherfucking division then. If somebody's willing to do that, that just shows you that they have no, no interest whatsoever of working with the champion. Never miss weight, always showed up on time. Then all my interviews leading up to fight week, travel to Australia and coach, I've done a lot. And for them to say that, like, it just showed me that that's okay. This is your form of tactic. I'm trying to call my bluff. You guys really want to do close the fight with the division? I said, fucking close it. I mean, seeing that we don't bring excitement to the UFC, our division's not making money. I, I like to disagree. I think our vision is making money and people are excited to see our division. Johnson would go on to break Anderson Silva's record for consecutive UFC title defenses with one of the most spectacular submissions in the history of the sport. A sublime suplex to armbar sequence that stopped Ray Borg in the final round of their UFC 216 clash. In the air, transitions to an armbar. Who does that? Show off. Although the thoughts of a Dillashaw bout were rekindled when he recaptured the bantamweight crown a month later in his rematch with former teammate Cody Garbrandt, it would never come to be. No one suspected that former Olympic gold medalist Henry Cejudo, a man Johnson had previously saw off with a first-round knockout, would be the man to dethrone the flyweight champion. However, when they met in the co-main event of UFC 227, Cejudo took a split-decision nod, which is still disputed by some media members and many fans to this day. After reclaiming his title at UFC 217, Dillashaw defended his bantamweight crown in the main event of UFC 227, which also potentially set up the champion v champion bout that White and the UFC were so keen on. But before all that, there was a massive shift in the flyweight division as we know it. ESPN's Helwani was the first to report the news of the historic trade between the UFC and one that would see Demetrius Johnson pack his bags for Asia, bringing undefeated welterweight Ben Askren to the octagon in his place. As far as Johnson was concerned, after claiming the record for most consecutive title defences, it was time to move on. But with fights still remaining on his contract, the UFC wanted something to sweeten the deal, which came in the form of the four-time All-American, former Bellator and one champion, and frisbee golf enthusiast, Askren. The flyweight division's worst fears materialised just two weeks later when Jose Shorty Torres took to social media to tell the world he was the first casualty in what was thought to be the complete disbandment of the bracket. Fellow flyweight Jared Brooks was next to announce his departure, underlining his disbelief at the scenario. With the idea of a Johnson rematch removed from the table for Cejudo, the newly minted champion took aim at bantamweight King Dillashaw, who looked like Christian Bale in The Machinist by the time he hit the scales at 125 pounds. Throughout the build-up for the fight, Cejudo agreed with the media members who suggested that victory for the flyweight champion was imperative to keep his division alive. I care about this division. I care about what the... You know, what it has to offer for the for the future of, of our weight class. Dillashaw, in turn, played up the narrative, claiming that the UFC had asked him to drop down to flyweight to kill the division. I could care less, man. You know, if the UFC wants me to be an assassin, if they want to hire me to go down there and end it, I'll end it. Cejudo stopped the bantamweight champion in the first round of the UFC's first card on ESPN+. He bracingly addressed White in his post-fight interview. Where are you, Uncle Dana? Where are you hiding? Cejudo declared. This victory, and I said it before, it was much bigger than me. This victory was for the flyweights. 
Although the first round stoppage was largely disputed, three months later Dillashaw received a two-year suspension from USADA after testing positive for EPO. After being tasked with killing a whole division, it was Dillashaw's career that was the real casualty from the bout. With Dillashaw forced to vacate the bantamweight title, Cejudo dispatched Marlon Moraes five months later to become the fourth simultaneous world champion in the history of the UFC. The snake-wielding, trash-talking Triple C was born, but we would never see Cejudo return to the flyweight ranks. After defending the bantamweight title with a second-round stoppage over Dominic Cruz, Cejudo retired from the sport, insisting that he would only come back for a significant payday. Shockingly, or not so shockingly, the UFC have announced no plans to cough up the cash for his return to date. It's undeniable that Cejudo's multiple division feats, his dethroning of Demetrius Johnson and his polarising character kept the guillotine at bay for a lot of UFC flyweights. But by vacating the title in December 2019, the division was without a champion. Again, the UFC's plan to crown a new king fell by the wayside when Davison Figueiredo came in heavy for his vacant title clash with perennial title contender Joseph Benavidez. The Brazilian unleashed a vicious right cross before pounding out the veteran, but it had to be ran back due to the miss on the scales, which made him ineligible to claim the strap. The God of War doubled down on his championship status when he choked out Benavides in the rematch, leaving no doubt as to whom the rightful champion was. With two explosive stoppages, Figueiredo became must-see TV, leading him to his recent title offence against Alex Perez in the main event of UFC 257. Amidst a scramble, Figgy Small spun like a tornado before latching onto a guillotine that stopped the bout just before the two-minute mark. In contrast to his 2017 relations with former flyweight champion Johnson, after failing to grant the champion a performance bonus, White realised the error of his ways and handed Figueiredo $50,000 in cash, remarking, I fucked up, I made a mistake, a moment that went viral across multiple social media platforms. Not only that, but on the same night he defeated Perez, in a move that was unanimously praised by fans and media, Figgy already booked his next title defence against Brandon Moreno, which goes down this weekend in the headline act of UFC 256. With fresh air pumped into the lungs of the division with the brash Brazilian, Floyweight's future seems promising. Even if he dispatches Moreno in a similar fashion to Benavidez and Perez, there is a host of new faces that can challenge for the title. Russian Askar Askarov shot to stardom under the ACB banner before climbing the rankings in the UFC. The grappling ace's story is amazing. Due to his deafness, he has no way to communicate with his corner during rounds, but has shown the furious flair of a virtuoso on the ground in his UFC bout so far. If he were victorious in his recently announced bout with Benavidez in March, he would be a natural choice for the next title challenge. He is joined by a number of charges towards the top of the rankings who have never fought for a title, like Alexander Pandoja, Brandon Royval, Rogeria Bantarin and Kai Cara France, all of whom would create interesting challenges in the future. Figueiredo has also been courting challenges for big names like Garbrandt too, which would be a huge draw for the fanbase once the American overcomes his bout with COVID-19. With a big personality, massive knockout power, a huge arsenal on the ground and a host of intriguing matchups at his disposal, for now, the flyweight division has been seemingly raised from the dead. All we have to do now is enjoy the exuberant, explosive and electrifying champion, Davison Figueiredo, as he continues to shine under the world's largest mixed martial arts spotlight. Big thanks to Max Randall for editing this video. You can follow him on at Max underscore Randall on Twitter. Another massive thank you to Ben Rosette for the intro music. You can check out some of his tunes by clicking the link in the description. Catch the latest updates on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. As always, we appreciate the consumption of our wonderful content. Please like and subscribe. We upload three dazzling videos per week to keep you on your toes. So please hit us up in the comment section to tell us how you feel. 
You can also join our Discord channel, the link for which is in the description. I really hope you enjoyed the video this week. Slán August Bannacht.